Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may our words, my words, and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There is a verse in scripture that uh, intrigues me. I, I actually like the verse a lot. I, I don't know if it's in my top ten or not, but I, I really always perk up at this point in the story. The verse is from Exodus, and it says, Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. A new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now, I, I want to tell you every time I hear that, I, if, if there was a, a soundtrack playing, it would go, dun, 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 <laughs> because it's ominous. It's an ominous thing. Joseph was one of the 12 sons born to the patriarch and matriarch, Jacob and, and uh, Rachel, sorry. It's, it's trying to keep it all straight. You know, it's like the seven dwarfs. It's just hard to keep straight. Um, so as you know the story, and I know you know the story, Jacob favored Joseph. He was, among, he was the next to youngest, and thus the gift of the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, right, that he received from his father. Now... Joseph knew he was beloved by his father, and he held it over his brothers just ever so slightly, as young, self-absorbed uh, young men can do. Well, you know what happens with favoritism, don't you? And so one day, when all the brothers were out caring for the sheep, they sold Joseph into slavery, and Joseph was carried off to Egypt. That part of the story ends with Joseph rising up in the power structure to become the right-hand servant of the king of Egypt. When, the, when a famine arises in Israel, Jacob and his sons immigrate to Egypt and are reunited there with Joseph. And the story tells us that the Israelites were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Immigrants. The land was filled with them. And this frightened the king. And so the king issued an edict saying that all boy children born to the Israelite women would be put to death. Well, it is here that we hear the idea that Jacob and his sons, including Joseph, eventually die, as does all of their generation. And then we hear the foreboding scripture. A king, a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now, enter Moses, the prince of Egypt. Now, that phrase, Prince of Egypt, does not appear in scripture, but is part of the very famous Disney movie. 
the prince of Egypt. But he was a prince, a new king that we will come to know as Pharaoh, um, takes over. And his daughter manages to find a baby in a basket on the river. You know the backstory. Moses' mother and father were Israelites and had a baby boy, and, and the mother put him into the river in order to save his life. And the daughter of Pharaoh finds him and raises him as her own child, and so he is a prince. He lives in comfort. He grows up to live a comfortable, royal life. As an adult, he learns of his Jewish heritage, and when he sees an Israelite slave being beaten by an Egyptian, he kills the Egyptian and buries his body in the sand. Now, fearing that he will be found out, he flees to a land called Midian. Moses grew comfortable in Midian and likely forgot the hardships his people who were still there were suffering. They continued to suffer in Egypt under this Pharaoh. And yet Moses' new life did not cause God to forget God's plan for the people of Israel. The fact that Moses was kicking back at the pool and relaxing and taking it easy and shepherding some sheep now and then didn't cause God to forget the plan that he had for Moses and the people of Israel. Pharaoh's policies of repression were staggering and the Israelites' suffering was deep. We're not told how much they had been crying out to God, but you can just hear it in the, in the scripture. They groaned and they cried. What we do hear in our Bible reading for today is that the Israelites groaned under their slavery and they cried out. And out of their slavery, their cry for help rose to God. Now, this is an ancient, ancient story and has to do with the people we don't know or understand it, so... I'm going to help us try to connect this to us today, <laughs> okay? So, say with me. We just have to ask ourselves here. Are we too, like Moses, living comfortably and forgetting the hardships faced by people in our country and around the world? Whether through persecution or hunger, injustices or other needs? I know we think about it. We see it on the news I know we're aware of the plight of LGBTQ youth. I, I know that we understand the struggle of immigration in the United States that is happening. I know the political conflicts that we're in the midst of. I know that poor people are still poor and they're still hungry and they're still suffering. I know all of this, but do we really know? After all, oppressors who profit economically from oppression do not like to give it up. I mean, consider just this last week, the 100th anniversary of the Greenwood District riots in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We commemorated that this last week, 100 years. 
As one of the most prominent, concentrated of African-American businesses in the United States in the early 20th century, it was popularly known as America's Black Wall Street. And the local people of Tulsa, the white people of Tulsa, grew anxious. Grew anxious about their wealth, grew anxious about their success, grew anxious. And because of that, they, they then went and slaughtered a whole group of people, African Americans. They slaughtered them. And, and we don't even know, we don't even know how much, is, how much they suffered because we stayed silent. Nobody told the story for decades. And, and we don't even know the impact of the, of the lives of their descendants. Most of the people who lived there moved away. It was really, really bad. It was burned to the ground in 1921. As many as 300 black residents were massacred, hundreds more were injured, and 5,000 people were left homeless. The massacre was one of the most devastating massacres in the history of U.S. race relations. And I have to believe that the people there, in the Greenwood community, that was once thriving, had to be saying, have you forgotten us, God? Why are you so distant? Where have you gone from us? And then I think we just have to ask ourselves, when have you cried out for God? When have you been desperate to know that God still is connected to you? And sometimes we don't even know we're going there. And then things happen. And then we realize we are so disconnected from this God who loves us. And our cry goes up. Surely this last year, then more than we can count, we have wept bitter tears. Tears of illness, isolation, loss of jobs, depression, addiction, and so much more. And as we move back into the more socialized life as the pandemic recedes, we may well be experiencing even more issues. PTSD, fear, anxiety of socializing, confusion. With the psalmist, we can shout, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk around mournfully? So do this for me right now. Do this right now. I want, in the silence of your heart, for you to count your losses. And go back as far as you want. For some of us, we can go way back. <laughs> for others of us, we'll just go back this year because we can't stand to go back any further, right? What, what are our losses? What are your losses? And then... I want to challenge us in the week ahead to cry out to God about that. To, to lament. That's a, a magnificent word that the psalmist used. They lament. They lament their losses. They lament their fears. 
And let me be the first to remind you that our scripture today contains within it one of the most important lessons of our faith. It is a lesson that will be echoed by Jesus of Nazareth in all his teaching. It is a lesson that he will draw out from the Hebrew scriptures and bring forth and then make it come to life in his own life, right? And, and, and there's a couple of really, really important lessons in this. So the first lesson is that the people cry out. They groan. They cry out to God. They don't stuff it in. They don't stuff it down. They don't try to be strong and... You know, our American individualism, we're going to fix everything and do everything right. We're going to get it right this time. I mean, they cry out to God. They groan. And the scripture helps us understand that God not only hears the cries of these people in their misery, but feels and experiences their pain. And then God remembers the covenant and the promises God made with their, their forefathers and mothers to make of them a great nation. And then, listen, listen to this, and then the story tells us that God looked upon the Israelites and God took notice of them. That's the lesson. It's okay to grieve and groan and lament and have fears. It's also okay and important to know that God remembers. Remembers the promises made. Not because of us. Not because we've been good or because we've been bad and we need God to remember us. No, it's God's nature to remember. It's God's very nature this lovesick God, totally in love with us as created beings, it's God's nature to remember. And in the story, in the story, that child Moses, grown into a man, would answer the call of God and lead the people out of their slavery and into new life in a new place. And if for them, no less for us. That when we are bound by a pandemic, by political infighting, when we are bound by all the struggles and heartaches, God hears our cries and feels our pain and our prayers and groans rise to God and our laments and fears are the first step in growing closer to God. We have to begin there in order to see the new thing that God is doing. And God remembers, God remembers us, you and me. And God does not forget the suffering of others. And in the end, neither dare we. Consider this. During the early stages of the pandemic, some researchers did a... Um, an online study, they fully expected that there would be a huge surge in loneliness. And I think that's probably been documented, loneliness. 
The pandemic is still going on, and we're not sure of long-term effects on our mental and emotional health. But this survey of more than 1,500 American states, as the pandemic shuttered many stores and businesses, neighbors began to rely on each other. I know you've seen this report. I know you've seen people singing from their balconies and youth playing instruments and entertaining people and people driving by for birthdays and graduations. I know you've seen all this. One researcher noted, I was still seeing a real outpouring of communities really trying to band together and look out for neighbors and for those who might be most vulnerable. And there was the hope that that would mitigate some of the effects of what was going on. So God has not forgotten us. And we too are called forth to be part of the work of God in the world. We are to be called forth to be the love of God in the world. We are called forth to be the people who carry the mantle of Moses. The truth is, we need each other. We need each other to combat loneliness and the other impacts we've experienced and to provide hope for each other and our neighbors. And the church is uniquely positioned to do this, to provide hope and to help each other and to help everyone remember that God notices us. God remembers the promise. In moments of crisis and pain, we as the collective people of God can trust in God's presence and guidance and know that God hears and experiences our cries. The question is, can we commit to being with the gathered people of God and praying our laments and fears together, whether we're gathered online or whether we're gathered in person? Can we commit to this? Because we may be the very hope that God is calling forth as God called forth Moses. As we meet together again in person and online, we are being formed into the people of God that God will lead and guide. We need this spiritual community to remind us and bring us together and draw us close to God and to each other. Well, as you know, a few of us have been meeting online for a book study for the last month and a half. We read uh, Donna Butler Bass's Grateful, The Subversive Practice of Giving Thanks. We concluded the study last Thursday, and I have to tell you, I had to tell James, I said, just read the last chapter. It is so good. I mean, the whole book is great, but the last chapter was amazing. As we concluded with that last chapter this last week, um, in it she told about how after her book was finished, her husband gave her a hat embroidered with the words, Make America Grateful Again. I thought that was great. I just laughed and laughed. Um, And here's what she wrote. Practicing gratitude calls us to better lives and a better world. Pointing to her idea that gratefulness is both an individual practice and a public practice. And she actually calls us to practice gratitude as individuals and then to practice it. She says, would that a church would make a commitment to be a church of gratitude. She continued saying, gratitude never calls us to give thanks for anything that is evil or unjust, never for violence, lying, oppression, or suffering. Do not be grateful for these things. 
But to know the mystery of life is to be grateful in all things, with all things, through all things. And, and what it doesn't mean is that life's going to be uh, sweetness and light. That's not the promise God gives. The promise God gives is to be with us. And that gratitude helps us see it, understand it, and respond to it. That, that this God who remembers us and takes notice of, of us, the more we practice gratitude, the more we experience that and see that happening in our lives. So let's commit to it. For as Butler Bass writes, to be grateful in these days is an act of resistance, of resilience, and renewal. And this is my hope for New Church because you see, I wake up on Sunday mornings thinking about you. And giving thanks for this little church. And for all we have done and all God is calling us to do. I remember you by name. And give thanks to God for you. And, and you know those prayer requests that people send in. I pray those. And I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for the opportunity to do that. It's my hope for New Church that we will in the deep places of our hearts and souls, individually and collectively as a church, come to know that God experiences life with us and God will be present with us and that we can all give thanks and that together again, New Church, we will collectively give thanks and praise to God. And my friends, that is no less than transformational. And then we will be able to sing with the psalmist. Weeping may linger for a night, but joy comes with the morning. Thanks be to God. Amen.